You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, Something's not working. It was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as always, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, I wasn't sure whether you'd be here for today's podcast. I did hear a whisper, it came from Tom Brown, that you had decided to sell your podcast seat off for $800,000 to someone over in Perth. Uh, th- that is actually completely false, and uh, I think everyone realized that with how you started uh, <laughs> started that report, let's just say that. By the way, can I just say one of the funniest things that I've seen on Twitter on the weekend, um, listen, we're not out here to pot Tom Brown too much, but my goodness, he had the funniest tweet on the weekend. Uh, again, I don't want to bring up the Geelong Bulldogs game, I'm sorry, Josh, but he tweeted, I don't know what stage it was, I think it was in the first quarter, he said, or it would have been in the first quarter, he said, Dixon is back. And then he tagged Steve OAFL and he said, the Bulldogs might be making their premiership statement. Uh, Dixon ended oh, up wow. with four possessions and minus <laughs> six metres gained. Minus six metres gained. Tom Brown, just let the game roll a little bit before you're coming out with those comments, please. Yeah, no, I didn't I didn't say that one, but that is, uh, that is relatively humorous. Almost as humorous as Brian Taylor saying the Bulldogs had one debutante play for the entire year when they uh, put a new player in every week for five weeks. But that's uh, that's all good. Let's not talk about that game anymore because we do have other stuff to talk about. The grand, fi- yeah, the grand final, Kane. What's happening with yeah. it? We are, we well, are, it's leaving the MCG as uh, everybody predicted. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think this is a huge shock, but certainly I think the announcement is either going to come today or in the next sort of 24 to 48 hours. But it does feel and it does seem like from all the reports that it's going to be at the Gabba. And it's going to be at 7 p.m. Now, we've spoke about this a lot. I, I'm just sitting here thinking Melbourne weather in late October. Hopefully you get a nice, you know, 22, 23 degree day, 7 p.m. The days are starting to get a little bit longer. You can kick back, a few beers, watch the granny at night. I mean, to me, it seems it seems great. I'm all in on the night grand final. Yeah, I, I, I've got no problem with it at all. I don't really... Think there should be any concerns with it? Tradition doesn't. Tradition can be important, but I don't think it's the be all and end all. And if you hold on to traditions uh, blindly, then progress is impeded. And not saying that progress is. Yeah, but if we had have held on to traditions in the, we never would have had night games at all because while well, footy's not played under lights, and then we wouldn't have been able to have you know Friday night games and expand this stuff and play on Wednesday nights. I think you got to let it go. I don't really see why we need to hold on to it's a day grand final. The MCG. I honestly don't. Honestly, don't care at all, and it's great for Queensland because they've accommodated the vast majority of the league for the vast majority of the season. Um, never been to the Gabba, so I can't tell you what it's like as a ground, but hey, we're getting a grand final played, and that's the most important thing. Yeah, I think ultimately people were just too scared. When I say people, I mean the officials and everyone involved were just too scared to have that first night grand final at the MCG because of the tradition you spoke about. But honestly, who cares? Who cares? Yeah. Now they've done it outside of Victoria. I think this is going to be a huge success, and I think you'll probably see it uh, you know, maybe stay there uh, moving forward. But it is kind of weird, though, to think about this. Uh, it is September now, officially September. I thought about that this and, morning. <laughs> and and because and the reason I thought about that is because the weather is starting to get a little bit nicer down here in Victoria. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. We normally get some pretty warm uh, AFL finals days. We've certainly had a couple of hot grand finals over the years. So 
uh, the longer the season goes, the more you realize how weird it all is. Because I think we do get caught up a little bit that footy's back, and I haven't been able to keep track of the date at all this year. The one thing that I did want to bring up with you was the Chris. So Chris Main looks like he's going to be out for the rest of the home and away season anyway. Certainly a chance to come back for finals after that brutal, brutal collision with Paddy Cripps. I, I just, I mean, it was a fine act. And, you know, certainly unlucky for, for Chris Main. He looked very sore. And it was an ugly one to see him lying on the ground for as long as he was. I mean, it was pretty horrific, to be honest. No one wants to see a player down uh, for that long after a, a knock to the head slash face. But it wasn't that courageous. Why is this being called out like it's one of the most courageous acts we've ever seen? He literally just tried to tackle a guy. And Paddy Cripps is an absolute bull and just ran through him. It wasn't like he was running back with a flight. He was standing there. He was he was right in front of him. If anything, Paddy Cripps was the one that wasn't expecting the contact. So I don't know. I mean, this is I, I just he did his job. He did his job. He tried to tackle someone and came off second best, and it's really unfortunate. But I wasn't sitting there thinking, "Wow, what a courageous act putting your body on the line." You're a heartless prick, Kane, because that's uh, <laughs> that's that's the that's the Anzac spirit in, uh, in in a black and white jumper right there. But it's what it is. It's, it's the opposite of the like tribunal reaction to let's suspend someone because the player got injured in a freak incident. Um, is that? Yeah, look, it must have been so bad that therefore he's got to get weeks because this guy was injured so horribly. Not the actual act itself. And while yeah. it, it, yeah, tackling someone is yeah, brave in its base yeah, definition because you're going in and then you're putting body contact in there. But he didn't do something that he, you don't see 25 times a game. And this is, of course, it's no disrespect to Chris Mayne because no, we don't we don't want mate, oh, Chris Mayne's going to have to go out there and prove himself and try to kill himself in the next game. Like, no. He just went in and laid a tackle. He got absolutely smacked in a in a fair way. I think no, nothing could have been done differently about it. But it wasn't this uh, massive sacrifice for the team. It is when he's laying on the ground and, and he's injured. And they're the sort of risks that happen in playing this game. But you're right. It's nothing that we need to... Uh, do we need to um, you know, circle jerk over? Well, I, until I saw that he was down... And and obviously, it, you know, everything changes at that point, and you, you just hope that he's okay because he really did not move for uh, quite a while. As I said, it was it was pretty scary. But um, at the time, I, I sort of when I when I saw it, I almost sort of laughed that kind of shock at, at the impact that Paddy Cripps had. I mean, we know Cripps is an absolute beast, but um, the the fact that that Maine just bounced off him the way he did uh, was was quite incredible. I mean, it was the impact was again. I mean, we talk about it a lot, but I, I'm not sure. There's too many games in the world that have those types of collisions, and uh, it was impressive stuff from Cripps, no doubt about that. And obviously, uh, no intent there. As far as the double header tonight, we have got a what? What Tuesday? We've got a Tuesday, yeah, Tuesday. double header, yeah. and we're going to talk about these games a little bit later on. But Dyson Heppel, I, we, we've been so caught up in Joe Danaher over the last few weeks. I didn't see too much news about Dyson Heffel. In fact, he was so far off my radar that I, I, when I saw him named in his team, I was shocked. But this is this is a huge in for the Bombers as they continue to try and build momentum off that win last week. We know they've got a really tough draw running home, but on paper, the team looks great. Yeah, uh, I heard this Heppel news, I don't know, last week that he was training and he was a chance to return. I went, oh, okay. But I didn't think too much more of it because mm-hmm. we just heard that he was ruled out for the season. But it is pretty amazing. And look, that, that getting Hurley and Heppel back, along with Danaher last week, it makes this team a lot stronger. And we talk about yeah, who's 
that forward that's going to kick goals and Danaher's back? Who's that midfielder who's going to have that bigger body that's going to provide some of that run? Well, Heppel's back to, to try and do that. And another guy down back in Hurley to provide that value in terms of a, a big key defender. And these are the questions that we've had for Essendon. And you know, two weeks in a row, they're just filling those holes in. Now, it's a tough one. But if they win this one, it's a massive win, of course. And then it really does put them back in the mix. It is going to be tough to get over it. But this is... I don't know if it's their best team out there, but it's pretty bloody close. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, you look right, you go down the spine, and I think that's where it looks great for Essendon and Hurley. Uh, James Stewart, who's who's played a role the last few weeks and has been okay. Kyle Hooker, uh, surprised that he kept his spot in the team after that uh, interesting mark attempt uh, he had late in the fourth quarter against Hawthorne. But Hooker, it's an R forward. Joe Danaher, obviously, we spoke about. And they get Sam Draper back as well. Obviously, a young guy, but you like the look of him playing in the ruck as well so I, I agree I mean this Essendon team over the last few years really has been dangerous again we've spoke about it all season long but I don't think that there's been a team that's been decimated by injuries like they have it's 200 games so by the way for for Kyle Hooker as well but you know Essendon in Queensland I mean if this game was at Optus Stadium I, I'm not sure there would be a chance but you look across the other side at West Coast and they lose uh, Josh Kennedy, who obviously that was a pretty brutal knee that he copped to the head uh, last week. So he's out of the team. Jamie Cripps has gone back to Perth, I believe. The family is having a, a child. So a couple of big outs for, for West Coast. I mean, you can see why Essendon's gone all in on this game in Queensland in a state that West Coast hasn't handled all that well this year. The other interesting thing with this is, and they are big outs for West Coast, is we talked about Richmond's approach to battling West Coast and throwing the two big ruckmen. At, uh-huh, at uh-huh. Nui, and Essendon hasn't gone that route. They've yeah. they dropped Phillips and brought in Draper. So it's Draper, and it's the same question we had last week: Who is the other Rockman? Is it Danaher? Is it Hurley? They throw in there because they're only running around. Unless I'm just missing someone, they're only running around with Draper out there as a, an actual Rockman. So they're going away from what Richmond did last week. Not to say that that's the be all and end all to beat uh, West Coast because it's not. It's one game, and we can't overreact to that. But they're going with a different a different approach here, and we'll see how this one uh, how this one works out. But it is an opportunity. For Essendon, uh, if they lose this one, it's going to be mighty tough. But yeah, this they're, they're giving themselves the best possible opportunity they could have. Oh, they certainly are. I mean, we were going to come back to this game later on, but I, I guess we've, we've uh, dove into it enough that I may as well just continue on with a, with a final point I wanted to make. I spoke about Josh Kennedy being out of the team. So uh, what I do like for Essendon, because I think from the midfield forward now, you look at that lineup and you feel really, really confident about it. I think that the key player to watch again, as always, when you're playing West Coast and, and the back six in general, but certainly Jeremy McGovern when it comes to intercept marking. We spoke about Richmond and the job they did at not being, not telegraphing all their moves forward, not going to one guy. So they need to be a little bit careful here with Joe Danaher. That's going to be the focus for Jeremy McGovern is watching where he is getting in front of him, cutting off those passes. So Essendon has enough, enough options down there whether it's Kale Hooker, whether it's Jake Stringer when he plays deep forward, the smaller guys, Devin Smith, has to stand up, has to play a good game. So they have got plenty of different options down there. So the key for Essendon for mine is not, as I said, telegraphing those passes and putting everything up in the air in front of Joe Danaher because McGovern will have a field day. But down the other end, we said they get back Michael Hurley. Yes, there's no Josh Kennedy. So the Eagles bring back in Oscar Allen. Still got Jack Darling. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm seeing an opportunity here for the Essendon backline to get on top and then launch those attacks forward with the aggressive midfielders that they 
they have got. We know Andrew McGrath's had a fantastic season. Dylan Shield, Dyson Heppel. That's a great uh, three on-ball brigade that they've got. So I think it's going to be a battle of the back lines. Both teams have to be careful here uh, at trying to slow down the other team from getting the ascendancy from the back half. Yeah, I think that that is going to be key. But I'm not going to like get too excited here about Essendon, who at halftime last week were getting you know, beaten pretty comfortably by Hawthorne. So I'm not going to go in and say yeah, they're really good chances. They've given themselves a good opportunity, but in the end, I, I still expect West Coast to win this one pretty comfortably. But it is Tuesday night footy, and it's something for us to watch. And hey, getting Hapel back is exciting for Essendon fans, and it's exciting for footy fans. So that is uh, that is good to see. Um, one other note you've got here is talking about Hawthorne and their youth policy. Um, so yeah, well, you've got a question mark there. So yeah, is this a shady question mark? What, what are you looking at here? <laughs> uh, well, I, I don't know. I, I just saw the ins and outs for. Hawthorne, because I know that things fell away in the second half last week against Essendon, but the one point I did take out of that game and the one thing I noticed was, wow, this this Hawthorne team is really young. This is a Hawthorne team that we haven't seen for 15 years, a team like this with the amount of names that you probably haven't got a lot of exposure to over the last few years. It was just very noticeable. And then I look at the ins this week and Ben Stratton comes in, James Frawley comes in, Sean Burgoyne, Jarman Impey. They're all veterans that come back into the team, uh, Mitch Lewis as well. And and some of the guys that went out, obviously Michael Hartley, Will Day, a couple in particular. Well, Day's been managed, fair enough. But I don't know, it's just funny. I mean, this is probably the fact that they're playing Adelaide and they really desperately want to avoid the fact that uh, they don't want to be the, the team that Adelaide beats, which begs the question, is tonight the night? Are the Crows going to get that first win on the board? Are they a chance? Because we've ruled it out on several occasions this year. Adelaide has had a crack. Last game they played, they've had over a week off, but they had a red-hot crack against the Cats. They made me a little bit nervous for a significant portion of this game. I know they did the same for you for uh, a quarter and a half, maybe, but they've been competitive anyway. Are they any chance tonight? They also get back Brad Crouch and Daniel Talia, so the Crows getting a bit of firepower back. I think you're right in terms of Hawthorne putting those guys back in because they are shit scared of embarrassing <laughs> embarrassing themselves and losing this one to Adelaide because this is Adelaide's real only chance, although they could come out and uh, yeah, pull a, a massive upset at some point. Seems unlikely. But uh, I, I understand that yeah, Will Day's been really good and, and yeah, 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 managing him off the short break. I, I get that, but there is definitely a portion of this is like, we cannot lose this. We need these guys to give us a level of confidence, I guess, that we're not going to be the only team that loses to Adelaide all season. But getting Crouch and Talia back, it makes it a closer one. Um, I still, uh, I'm not, I, I ruled them out. I said they're done. That was their last opportunity whenever that was weeks ago. Um, but man, it's 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 possible. It, it, it is possible. I, I don't think it's going to happen though. Yeah, it's just hard to pick them. But yeah, again, I've, I've watched uh, a lot more Adelaide than I probably ever thought I would have in the last four or five weeks. And again, their pressure is up and the competitiveness is up. They, they give themselves at least an outside chance. I, I give them some chance. I mean, let's be honest, they're playing Hawthorne. This isn't Hawthorne from 2008. So uh, as you sort of said, this may be their best shot at it. The conversation I had, and this, this stemmed from the weekend, and I, I know... We mentioned Jake Riccardi yesterday, who, by the way, ended up getting the Rising Star nomination for this week. Uh, it was pretty funny. I was watching 360 last night, and uh, they were uh, talking about the fact that on the broadcast, Jonathan Brown compared 
No, it didn't say he was going to be Wayne Carey. It didn't say anything like that, but just compared the way he was flying to the ball to Wayne Carey, which was kind of hilarious to see um, Jake Riccardi's reaction when they when they sort of mentioned that. He had a huge smile on his face, as you absolutely would, coming from Jonathan Brown. But I just look at a guy like Riccardi. Yes, only two games. I think about a guy like Gibbons for Carlton, who's had a fantastic season. You can go right through the list. I mean, there's a bunch around the league. The guy I put down on the rundown sheet here is Menegola because he's having a fantastic season after uh, being a guy that played at a high level at, at State League. Yes, he, he had a few opportunities uh, at the AFL level and, and didn't succeed. But again, another mature age guy that's come into the AFL. I, I just, and this is a, a wider conversation that we can get into here, but I, I just don't understand why these mature age guys don't get more opportunities uh, to come into the league from that age 22 to 26, 27 bracket. I look at the, the quality of state league uh, footy, whether it's the SANFL, the Waffle, VFL, whatever it may be. There is so many guys out there that are mature that have been playing senior footy against a really top flight opposition for a long, long time that could come in and, and make an impact at AFL level. I, I have no doubt. We see it every single year. We do. We also see clubs trying it out and not necessarily working um, to to the greatest level. And I think there's some um, hesitancy with it because you bring a guy who's 23, um, you've missed five years of development with that player, of molding that player into, you know, getting them in that prof- highly professional environment with your team and whether that takes them three years to crack AFL level or, or not, um, you know, you've had that level of seeing how your team you know, plays and the the structures and how you want to coach and their teammates and they come in and they're not not fully formed but a lot more fully formed than an 18 year old kid who comes in and while they can be um, yeah, interesting players for for good teams I think like Menegola example is a good one there are there are players that they do try at this level who you know, come in and get picked, you know, pick 60 in a national draft, and then they sort of come in and they're on the fringes and you don't really know where, like, have they topped out at their ceiling of where they can go to? And I think of a, a couple of guys yeah, that, that play at the Bulldogs, yeah, Ryan Gardner, one of those guys, Ben Cavara, who have been in and out of the team, but they just like, ugh, are, they, are they actually at that AFL level to after being playing well at VFL level? Are they those guys who can come in and you know, cement themselves and feel like they're going to be in your best 22 in a top four team? And, and I struggle with that. And I think there is definitely an allure with getting the younger guys in. Oh, well, well, maybe imagine what he's going to be when he's 23. This guy's already 23 and we know what he is, but imagine what this guy could be when he's 23, when it might not actually get to the level of those state league type players. But there is a lot of talent out there. I, I just think that some of that five years of lost development and let's say uh, AFL indoctrination, that's the w- wrong word, but like you're yeah, really immersing them in there is something that the clubs might feel is an invaluable piece in the development of a player. So when I look at the draft, and I will say that I, I think it depends where the club is at as well. So uh, That's massive, uh, I think. Yeah, I mean, it depends where you're at and what you're trying to achieve. And clearly, you know, if you do look at a team like Geelong, they've been in a position where... Yeah, what are we going to get out of drafting someone, uh, an 18-year-old with pick 60 here? Yep. Uh, we're not going to see him for a couple of years, most likely. He's probably not going to get into the team. 
So I think that that's the range that I'm looking at when I talk about these mature age players. So, you know, maybe you have to pick 50 in the draft. Like, has there been players that have had successful careers from there? Of course. There's there's examples right through the draft. There definitely is. But the percentages, I would have to imagine, of guys drafted after 50 that end up being really long, having long, solid AFL careers would be low. I mean, they just would be. So in, in that instance, it's like, well, okay, with pick 67, are you going to take an 18-year-old that is kind of a you know project? Uh, we'll see what he turns into. Uh, hope for the best. We'll develop him, see what happens. Or do you just say, listen, this guy's been tearing it up in the VFL for Werribee for the last five seasons. He's 23. Let's get him in. And this guy's a legitimately a chance to play in our round one team. I think teams get a little bit too... Uh, get get scared of not going down the developmental path when I I just I don't know if it's always necessary. If you've got a guy there that's mature and ready to go that will help your list, then take him with those uh, later draft selections. I think that the AFL is heading in that direction. I will say that certainly more so over the last ten years than ever before. But we just keep saying it every year. There's guys that come in and are ready to go, and it does take time as well. Not everyone walks in and has the impact straight away. So you spoke about some of the guys. For the dogs, I think even Marlon Pickett is an example that, sure, he came in uh, at, at on grand final day and, and had this this huge impact and everyone said this is going to be a star. Then after round four this year, everyone was ready to write him off. They call him a buster saying he can't play. Yeah, look at him. He's finding his feet at the AFL level. The guy's only played like 12 games of AFL footy. And now all of a sudden again, he's starting to look comfortable in a, a good team, I think, which also helps. So I, I guess my question to you would be then, are we? What would you? What path would you go down? Now, I, I, I don't think that there's actually too much point in going into the conversation about ex- expansion and expanding lists because simply financially it's not going to happen. There's still the talk that potentially the list will actually shrink next year because of the cap and the money situation and everything in that regard. So, when you talk about these veteran players, would you be more interested in continuing to have a mid-season? A signing period, a free agent period, if you will, where you can sign state league players, add them to your list, or do you think it's just uh, in- incumbent on the teams to start drafting these guys through the the usual processes or the traditional processes? I'll get to that question in a sec because while you were talking, I, I wasn't listening. I was looking something else up. Um, but what, <laughs> what I was looking up is I just picked a year draft. So I went 2018 national draft and I tried to have a look at these guys and I looked in that 50 range that you just mentioned and there's quite a few guys here that came, you know, got drafted in the VFL that are playing. Nick Hind from St Kilda. Um, mm-hmm. from Essendon's VFL team. Uh, Lockie Schultz from Williamstown over in Fremantle. Brett Bewley, who's played games for Fremantle from Williamstown as well. Darcy Fort, pick number 65, coming over as a 26-year-old from uh, Central Districts over in South Australia. So there's a, a bunch of those guys in that area who have come in and and played. Will Hayes played for the Bulldogs this week. He was the last pick in the draft. He came from their VFL team. So there's you know, that's four guys in that area who were picked as older players from state leagues who have had an impact this season and um, you know whether it's a big impact or, or not but they've they've played and there is guys in that area but I think it is super important to to note that it is important where your team is sitting although two of those guys are playing for Fremantle who are in a rebuilding sort of a, a situation but in terms of whether you'd prefer um, mature age players in a you know compromised financial environment for next season versus younger guys. Um, um, yeah, look, I probably wouldn't personally. 
I still think I'd rather the younger guys. You can pay them less in general. You know, on those on those younger younger contracts, you have more time with them to develop them as as their careers go on. I guess it all is going to come down to you know, where you're sitting on the ladder and, and what your list looks like in general. But I may, and this is probably just a personal bias. But whenever you know, the Bulldogs go into a draft and they come out with three VFL players, like oh, just take a take a take a TAC guy, take a a young guy from Western Australia. I, I generally want to skew a little bit younger in that. Um, but there's been plenty of examples of it, of it working the other direction. So I, I don't think the change in environment for next season is going to change my opinion on that, but to the broader question of is there enough talent in state leagues to, if we were in an environment where the world hadn't shut down, to expand, I actually absolutely agree with you that that is a, uh, something that, that could have been done or at least looked to have been yeah, pushed forward. Yeah, it's just interesting. I mean, watching on the couch last night as well, uh, they were talking about potentially leaving the, the AFL season at 17 games for next year. I'm, I'm not. I mean, I'm not totally against it. I mean, there's no doubt now when you look at the final few weeks, there's more to play for. I mean, there's more teams that are potentially going to make the eight. But I've always said the whole time, I mean, I think 20 games is the perfect amount. And so I, I don't know how you do that, whether um, – or sorry, 20 teams is the perfect amount, so 19 games. I've always felt that that feels like the right balance. Everyone plays each other once. It's still not perfect because you're going to have – one team playing on the road, one team playing at home. There's With, with a, a national comp, there's no way that you can change that. But it does take out the – some teams are playing teams twice. And how do we even out the fixture? And that's based on the ladder from last year. I've never really liked that system. Everyone plays each other once, and I, I think it's, it's just fair. I think that's the way it should be. 17 games feels a little bit short. It, it, the, the AFL season hasn't felt short as it's come back this year, but keeping in mind that we missed three months that we would have normally been playing footy. So 17 rounds or, or 18 rounds, if you had a buy in there, I, I think still feels a little bit short to me. So I, I'm still all in on the expansion. I do feel that that's been delayed by at least five, maybe 10 years, given everything that's gone on and the uncertainty moving forward. But uh, I, I, I would like to see more than 17 games next year. And I think the easiest and the fairest way to do that in the future is expansion. Yep, I uh, I agree with you on that. I'm all, all about bringing that in as long as it's brought in, you know, the correct way. I think some of the GWS and Gold Coast stuff in terms of draft concessions was a little bit heavy-handed, um, and maybe the location of those teams, while it's important for growing the game, I'm not sure it's actually done that. Um, yeah, you know, while ignoring some other areas that could have really yeah you know, got got things happening in a more um, I guess, interesting way rather than playing in, in uh, stadiums where not that many people uh, are going to watch. But you know, with with uh, Gold Coast looking a little bit better, maybe there is some hope for them. But yeah, that's not going to happen in this uh, you know, current environment. And as you said, five to 10 years could be, that's what we're looking at. But there is obviously room to me with an expanding population in Australia for at least another two teams in that 10-year period, I would say. And that, that, would, that would look pretty nice to see... Uh, to see some more teams, and of course, we're all hoping for uh, Tasmania to get uh, to get themselves back. We'll get back into, not back into, get into the AFL. That would be uh, it would be fantastic to see that because we know that Tasmania loves footy. I would be into I would be into Tasmania getting an expansion team just so I can go down there and hang out for the weekend and watch footy. Uh, it's pretty cool down there. We already went through the games tonight, so as we wrap this up, I guess the only question I have for you, you didn't exactly commit with a selection 
Uh, you seems like you're going for West Coast, the over Essendon. I think that's fair enough. That seems like the wise pick if you're putting uh, your your respect on the line here <laughs> with your foot with your footy tipping for the podcast what? listeners. What about Hawks, Crows? Where are you going? Are Adelaide going to win? Because I think I'm ready to put my neck on the line. I reckon the Crows can do it. I think they can do it. All right. I don't think they can do it. But that's uh, <laughs> uh, they've had some good games. They've had some absolute stinkers, though, let's be honest. Um, yep. And it's it's not like it's been a consistent pattern of strong performances from Adelaide. They played well against Geelong most of that game. They also lost by 60 points to the Bulldogs the week before that. So it is, it's not like, a hey, they're building, they're building, they're building. It's a little bit up and down in what they're, what they're doing. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take Hawthorne in that one. I will say that every time I've actually gone ahead and say I think there are a chance they've lost by about 50 points. So um, if there isn't any Adelaide fans listening, you probably know what to expect now tonight, and I strongly apologize for that. Guys, that'll do it for today's episode of Locked On AFL. Kane, thank you again. I look forward to catching up tomorrow. Guys, don't forget, subscribe Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts too, and I'm going to leave you today with a shout-out to Stephen Newport. 